Welcome to the Warrior Goddess Revolution, a podcast dedicated to helping you get free, free of shame, free of fear, free of limitations, and free to become the woman you are meant to be. Let the inner revolution begin. Here's your host, Heather Ash Amara. Welcome back everyone to Warrior Goddess Revolution podcast. And I get to interview and talk with and have a conversation with my best friend, Autumn LeBay Renault. We have known each other since we were 19-ish. A long time. 36 years. 36 (laughs) years now. Uh, And we have a very obviously long history, but also just beautifully woven history together. So I'm excited to share Autumn with you to share our journey together, to share Autumn's incredible wisdom and what she's up to in terms of many different things. Yay, Autumn. Welcome, sweetheart. Thank you. How fun to get to share this time with you and see where it takes us. Yes, as always. So I realized you're you're way better than dates than I am, but February, whatever year that was, it was right around this time. We're doing the interview February 23rd, but I think it was February 20th, 1987, 88, 89, that we did that first teach-in. I want to say it was 1988. Yeah. I think it was 88. So Autumn and I met in the California Aggie newspaper. We were both working there and that's how we met originally. Uh, And then we bonded over a paper that we were writing together. I think it's a fun story to tell that we actually knew each other for about a year before we became friends. We did, we did not click at first and uh, never would I have guessed that, you know, 36 years later, we'd be having this conversation, but we did. We, we had a political science class together at UC Davis. We stayed up all night and got really punchy writing a paper and that was it. We never looked back. It's so true. What, what happened, but it happened. <laughs> it happened. I have that paper. I actually just found that paper. It was hilarious. Digging through my stuff. I'm like, and here's the paper. I'll send it to All you. Right. Well, um, here, here's a funny story. Your, one of your goddaughters, my daughter, Kira, interviewed me for a sociology class uh, recently. She had to talk to someone from a different generation about technology. And she said, do you remember your first experiences with computers? So I told her about the the VDTs, the video display terminals at the Aggie, and your little Apple computer with that screen about, you know, six inches big that we wrote that paper on. So it's hilarious. It is so hilarious. Yeah. I think those computers were like four megabytes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Woo-hoo>! <laughs> here we are on zoom <laughs> here we are on zoom. i know it's so fun the uh, the other thing that autumn and i have done over the years is we ran a newspaper together autumn then went on to move to santa cruz and run a newspaper there we ran the california aggie together she was the editor i was the features editor and so there's been this overlap around writing around media and around communication and so that's one of the things that i want to talk to you about today is is like kind of media literacy and how it's shifted over the years and the importance of being able to stay up like to to be part of community and to understand community and understand the importance of media and how to use it to benefit ourselves and and also the places it can be challenging so do you want to share a little bit about your just your journey around as a writer and as a media kind of advocate and what you're up to yeah. now? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I did uh, I did start my career in a newspaper and as a reporter, an editor, a, a publisher, and I thought I would do that for a long time. And then um, as a young woman, I got involved with Planned Parenthood as a volunteer and that kind of brought me into the world of nonprofits, and that's really still the work that I do today. Um, I am the executive director of a nonprofit community media center called Davis Media Access in Davis, California, and we do all sorts of things, but really embedded in all our work is just what you mentioned, media literacy. And it's based on the simple premise that in order to really be an effective consumer of media, you have to understand how what you're being presented with, how to determine if it's factual, 
and and how how to you know follow up on it, how to engage with it in, intelligently. And um, one of the things I do is I've written about media consolidation in this country. Twenty years ago, when I started writing about it. There were about 200 corporations who owned all the big media, commercial media outlets in the country. And I thought that was a really dangerous number. When I, when I uh, occasionally I guess left for college students these days, and when I tell them that story, and then I ask them how many are there today, they'll guess, you know, 50, 100, 20. And the answer is there are five there are five corporations that run everything. So the net result of that is there's a real homogeneity of thought. Representation is often lacking. Um, and, and we just don't have um, a lot of options, even though it may feel like we're inundated. You know, I, I, I go on our the streaming services we subscribe to, and half the time there's really nothing I want to watch there despite a, a plethora of offering, offerings. So, so yeah, media literacy is critical to how we move through the world and, and how we keep ourselves safe and informed. And it got way, way more complicated with the, the rise of social media. And um, I, I, you know, I can't agree with Donald Trump on many things, but fake media is a thing in, in that regard. And I always encourage people and often demonstrate how to, you know, how to fact check your sources how to follow it back to the original link and see who published it and then find out what they're about and, and be able to make informed decisions about all of that. Beautiful. And, you know, one thing that I've always loved about the work that you do is that it's so community-based mm -hmm. and, and also, you know, we, we, like you said, we have so many options of channels, but right. most of it's owned by very few people. Yeah. And it doesn't connect with our local community a lot of the time. Well, it's passive too. The experience of watching something that is, you know, slick, was produced with a lot of money and is coming at you through your whatever device you're watching it on is essentially passive. You're not asked to engage with it. You're not asked to think critically about it and you're not asked to participate in it. So what community media is about is it's just that we serve uh, um, we're based in Davis. We serve the region of Yolo County. And um, I think the best example I can give is the radio show I've been doing during the COVID pandemic. So like everyone else, last March 13th, we, you know, the world came to a stop for us. We had to shut our doors. We are normally a bustling community center with people in and out, creating volunteers, creating their shows. Um, we're doing things in the, in the television studio for the community. We're helping people edit their footage. We're doing all sorts of things. And we had to shut our doors. I went home that weekend and I thought, okay, this is a crisis. There's a need to get information out to our local communities. What's the best way that we can do that? And a light bulb went on and I said, you know what? I'm trained as a journalist. And although I want to keep volunteers out of the building, I'm willing to go there alone by myself and I'm going to start a radio show. So I started a radio show called the COVID-19 Community Report on March seventeenth, uh, so it was four days from idea to being on the radio, and for the first four months, I went live twice a week, which was a lot. Um, I'm still on the air almost a year later. I'm working on episode fifty-five. I've interviewed about ninety people during that time, and they range from you know congressmen and local elected officials to virologists and epidemiologists, and um, this month, I've been doing a series on the, the reopening of schools. So I've talked to administrators, uh, teachers, parents, and this week I'm interviewing kids. So far, I've interviewed a sixth grader and a high school uh, senior. And it's fabulous because I have no agenda when I'm talking um, to these people. This is an opportunity for them to share their perspective. I do try to balance it out. You know, if there's one perspective and there's a counter, I'll, I'll bring them both on. And right now there are two groups in, of parents in Davis who are kind of at war with each other over how, to, how and when to reopen. And I decided we really need to talk to the kids. You know, we really need to hear from them about because all the adults are making decisions about their lives and, and their the rest of their school year. So yeah, it, it is hyper-local as we like to say, and um, 
it's very impactful in that way. And we get a lot of positive feedback for it too. Mm, it's so great because it's, it does allow you then to take these conversations that are happening already in the community, but involve way more people. And right. I love, that's the thing I loved about being a reporter too. I was thinking about this because I just wrote this huge article and did a bunch of research, but I don't, I don't often do anymore, but I love that process of diving in and opening to the different points of view and mm. what are people up to. And um, I do miss that as a reporter of, of finding what are both sides and interviewing both sides to, to bring the conversation up. And in a way it's easier it was easier then than it is now because there's so much going on yeah. and more media literacy. Yeah. And uh, honestly, it, it's been a gift during a difficult time because it has helped me feel engaged and of service and in a way that I might not have been able to if I hadn't made that decision. And also, I never thought I'd get to work as a journalist again, but I, I should mention, in addition to the interviews, each week I do about five to seven minutes of reporting on on local COVID-related news. You know, here's the changes for the vaccine clinics, and here's where you can get tested, and and here's uh, the decision the the school board made this week. That kind of thing. So it does require a lot of research and a lot of talking to people, and uh, it, it it's been a gift to be able to work in that capacity again. I'm very grateful for it. Beautiful. So cool. All right. I'm going to pivot us because one of the other things that I want to talk about, there's two other things that I want to talk about and then we'll see where else it goes. One is (laughs) your, do we start with the kids? Do we start with (laughs) UC Davis library? So let's start with UC Davis library because that was pre-kids. So many of you have read about Autumn, and if you've read War Goddess Training or any of the other books, she's in most of the books in some fashion, or the kids are, her, her my God kids, her Or the puppy. Kids, <laughs> or the puppy, all sorts of stories. Yeah. Um, but Autumn and I were in a feminist studies course, and that then inspired us to go start studying different earth, to start studying earth-based traditions, women's spirituality, goddess spirituality and go to uc davis library and check out like a million books and carry them across campus i still have that's such a great photo in my head of the two of us walking with all of these books and then spending the summer like going oh my god listen to this as we read these books and had our mind blown um and and that was and autumn and i were the ones that did uh that decided to just share what we were learning and the first that we did at the teach-in, UC Davis teach-in, we thought, ah, like 10 people will show up and we'll just chat with these folks. And 60 people show up. I remember, Autumn, you looked at me and you're like, I'll take 30, you take 30. Okay. We had no idea what we were doing. But we also, we have, we both have such a, a tendency, jump first, figure it out later. And that's exactly what we did. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a good quality that both of us have. I think because well, we've had fun in, and it's gotten us in some trouble over the years too. <laughs> that is absolutely true as well. So you then, let's talk about the kids for a minute, and then I'd love to talk about your relationship with Unitarian Universalist, like how that has woven into your life as well. So I was going to be the one that was going to have kids. I know what happened, and Autumn was not. Yeah, yeah. what happened, and. I always thought I was going to have kids. And then there was a moment where I was like, I'm not having kids, but Autumn did. So thank you. As always, I thank her constantly for having the children. So what was that journey for you of deciding to have kids and then going in just any piece? Because it's so... (laughs) Well, first, I want to share a quick, funny story. I will never forget the day you called me. You were at an airport traveling somewhere and you called me and you said, I figured it out. And I'm like, great. What did you figure out? And she said, I don't have to have kids because you had them. And I was like, "Okay, cool. Thanks for letting me know. (laughs) Um, 
for any for all who are listening, Heather Ash has been the most amazing um, presence in in my children's life. So uh, my husband Craig and I have three. Our eldest daughter Rowan is twenty three, and we have twin son and daughter Nash and Kira, who are about to turn twenty one. During during the very uh, early years when they were young, is we were frequently uh, overwhelmed, and Heather Ash would show up and say, I'm here, go take a shower. I'm here, go see a movie. I got this, go. And, and you know, I've, I've told you this many times, but that was such a gift. Um, you're right. I was, being a mom was not part of my plan simply because I was afraid I wouldn't be a good mom. My mom had borderline personality disorder and my uh, my childhood with her it was very difficult, and she wasn't diagnosed till later in life. I just thought she was a really really difficult person, and um, her illness she did the best she could, and she she did some things very well, but her illness made her mothering uh, very uneven and. I wasn't mothered particularly well, and I, I didn't want to carry that on. The universe had other plans for me. I, um, I met my husband when we were 14. We were friends for 10 years before we um, acknowledged that we had fallen in love and started dating. And um, that was also 1988, so that was a pretty pivotal year. And... Uh, we were kind of on the fence about having kids. Everyone was asking us when we got a puppy. We said, we'll see how the puppy goes and we'll let you know. And three months later, I was pregnant and we decided, okay, this is great. We're going to be happy about it. We're going to go forth and make a family. It is, my three kids are the best things I have ever done with my life. Um, they are phenomenal. We have a really great relationship as they're growing into their adulthood. We're we're a very close-knit family and uh, I'm just super grateful, you know. And you are such a great mom. You've always, you were always such a great mom. It's been Thank amazing you. to witness that the relationship that you have with your kids and how the thing that I love is how honest you are with them, how present you are with them, the kind of conversation, like Rowan will say, yeah, I just had this conversation with my mom. I'm like, you talked to your mom about that? <laughs> and it's always been like that. Sometimes there's a lot of TMI. There are some things I know I maybe don't want to know, but uh, but I I am very grateful for that that sense of openness because I didn't have it. I think the biggest compliment I ever got was Craig said to me at one point, "You became the mother you needed," and that's a that's a pretty high compliment. Yeah, yeah, especially because you were navigating your mom at the same time. So because <laughs> your parents moved to Davis to help with the kids. Yay. Except crazy mom came. Yeah, that was, you know, so that was challenging and a blessing. It was a mixed blessing. Um, I, my dad and I were very close and I made a, I had to make a conscious choice. Okay. They want to come and help. That means proximity to my mom and that opens a can of worms, but I really wanted my dad to be part of my kid's life. My, my kids will tell me, Oh yeah, Jima was crazy, but she loved the hell out of us and and she did, you know. And so I, I felt like I gave them a gift of really present grandparents who who love them to pieces and were very present for them. They did help us out a lot. Um, as as you know, both my parents um have died in the last uh coming up on five years for my dad and four years for my mom and both their ends were very difficult my mom got dementia on top of borderline and uh whew, at a time when my kids were teenagers so that was really 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 tough. so rough and she'd lost yeah. her husband she lost her you husband. know you'd love your you'd lost your dad she'd lost her husband it was that was such a hard period yeah so um I used to say that, you know, my worst nightmare was that my dad would die first and I'd have to take care of my mother. And then I lived my first nightmare. But here's the real lesson. I sur- I survived my worst nightmare and and came to realize, um, you know, the depth of not only my own strength, but ultimately the strength of my marriage, the strength of my community and my and my friendships. And um, 
you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of blessings and a lot of gratitude woven in through what was a really, really hard time. And one of the things I remember, Autumn, is that after your mama had died and you were cleaning a place because she was a hoarder, <laughs> so there was, it was chaos. Yeah. Is you, the, the art that you started creating, like how part of how you got through that period was bringing in art right. to help you get through. So I'd love you to share about that too, because that was breathtaking right. way to process it was a process. So um, for some years prior to, you know, my parents getting getting sick and all the caretaking that ensued, um, I, I had started dabbling in mixed media art. And I know you've heard the story many times, but my eighth grade art, art teacher told me I didn't have an artistic bone in my body and I ought to just give it up. And I believed him. In retrospect, he was a really bitter, jaded old man. And I believed him. And that what that comment um, impacted me deeply and set a narrative for myself about what I couldn't do for many years. As it turns out, I'm actually really creative. It took me a long time to say I'm an artist, but I'm an artist. Um, I'm, a, I'm a really visual person, visual uh, thinker, visual planner. And um, it all started with, with a rubber stamp, believe it or not. That sounds crazy. But about 15 years ago, uh, a neighbor invited me to a card making party across the street. And I was, you know, I think the twins were three, four. And and I, uh, I said, sure, you know, half an hour away sounds really great. And so I went and I got hooked. There was this thing she did with embossing powder and a heat gun, and it was like alchemy. It turned to liquid, and then it solidified, and I thought, wow, mind blown. And so I started dabbling in that. Back then, this was before Facebook, before Instagram and all and everything, um, groups uh, were, Yahoo groups were the way to go, and I found out there was a whole world of people there who liked to make cards, and I got more and more involved in it. Okay. So then that that was kind of a gateway to mixed media. And then I remembered that, oh, yeah, I used to make jewelry. I used to do beadwork. I used to do these things. I never identified them as creative or art, though. So back to the time where I was caretaking my parents and raising teenagers, I, I stopped doing anything creative. And I really started to feel that lack deep in my soul. And so I made an agreement with myself that, I will do five minutes a day of something creative, no conditions on what it needed to be. Just I, I, I set up a notebook that was an art journal and I, I committed to spending five days over time or five minutes over time, five minutes turned into 10 minutes, turned into a half an hour. Like I got greedy for this gift of time I was giving myself and decided I needed to start carving out a little bit more. Somewhere in the year of transitioning my mom to a, a care home and, and ultimately the nursing facility where she passed away, um, we had to clean out her apartment. My mom was, among other things, a, a really big time hoarder. And so it was quite a job. And uh, there were some very interesting things in there, including a big tin of antique buttons. And I think finding that tin of buttons kind of changed my life. So through all of that, I made a decision that I was going to start an Etsy store, an Etsy shop. And I was going to sell my handmade cards and some other things because it just felt like a calling. If I'm going to call myself an artist and I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to really put myself out there. I'm just going to see what happens. And so I set a deadline. And six months after my mom passed, I, I, I opened the shop. And that has been, I think we're coming up on, I don't know, four or five years. I think it was 2016. So, um, and the thing about the buttons, you know this about me, but it sparked a curiosity for me. I looked at them and I thought, these are old. I wonder what their history is. I wonder if they're valuable. And I started researching. And just like I did with Yahoo groups and, and card making, I kind of went down a rabbit hole. And um, 
if the video for this shows in back of me is my art table and it's piled high with trays of buttons because what I've actually gravitated toward doing is designing button jewelry. You're wearing a piece I made. I'm wearing a piece. I'm wearing a piece I made. (laughs) So awesome. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's been phenomenal. And and now I'm part of a worldwide network of um, creators on, on both Instagram and Etsy and, and Facebook and, I, to this day, I'm crazy busy. I work 70, 80 hours a week. I do this radio show and I still keep up with my creativity because it is so essential to my well-being. And, um, you know, I've really had the support of my family. They don't they don't necessarily get it. The button obsession. They don't get it, but they support it and they recognize that it makes me happy. And so it's you know, it's it's an object lesson in figuring out the thing that that brings you joy and pursuing it wholeheartedly. I probably have 10,000 buttons now. It's crazy. At least. <laughs> That's probably a conservative estimate. And yeah. of course, because Autumn's a Virgo. Imagine that they're organized in beautiful well, ways. Yes, and constantly being reorganized. And I was about to say that I'm not, and I'm sure she's shifting them constantly because that's what yes. I would do. No, it's super. It is. It is really cool because it's it's history, recycling, craft all together. And for any of you that might be mamas that might have super busy lives that that think you're not creative. You know, Autumn's journey of just saying, I'm going to do five minutes, like literally she would be like every, she put the kids to bed, to bed, her husband would go to bed and it would be 11 or midnight and you would start doing your art. Yeah. Yeah. It helps to be a night owl, but I'm, I'm also, you know, I'm 55 now and I'm on this trajectory of, okay, I wake up early to do yoga and I'm trying to go to bed at a more reasonable hour because I've determined I need more sleep. So there, there's a balancing act in there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's so good. And I have lots of autumn, autumn things. I'll share the, the link for your Etsy store in this, in the, Thank you. yeah, yes. Cause the cards are great too. <laughs> Sassmobile. We can talk about that too. All right. <laughs> so the other thing is around your stepping into both being part of a community and leadership through Unitarian Universalist and at Davis. So I'd love you to share that journey as well. Cause I think that's a really yeah. beautiful place of finding community. Right. Well, uh, I was raised going to church, but never felt a part of church. My dad was Roman Catholic. My mom was Episcopalian. And I don't think they ever found satisfaction because what I remember is we kind of shuffled between the two different churches and try, they were always trying on new churches. We would drive to another town and go to another church. And it was, I don't know, it was never sad. It seemed like it was satisfying for anyone. And, but my mom insisted that I go on Sundays. And I think that was part of her thinking, this is the thing, the right thing I need to do to make sure I raise a good daughter and et cetera. When I was 14, I told her, I don't want to go to church anymore. This, this doesn't, I don't like the messages. I, I really didn't like the message that, you know, original sin and it all started with women. And I didn't like what I was being, what I was hearing, what I was being told. She made me go for another two years. And if you know anything about the Catholic Church, there's a lot of movement. You sit and stand and kneel a lot. And I would literally sit in the pew with my arms crossed and not budge. And my mom was, you know, didn't like that, but she didn't like to make a scene. And so one Sunday I woke up and she finally said, I'm done fighting. You don't have to go to church. I think I was close to 16 at that point. And I thought, great, I will never be involved with a church again in my life. Fast forward all those years later, here in Davis, there is a very um, active, fairly large congregation of the Unitarian Universalist Association, um, often shortened to UU. And for those who don't know, it's a non-denominational religion um, that has its roots in Christianity, Judaism, and earth-based spirituality. Um, it tends to be a church of critical thinkers and activists, and a lot of its uh, work in recent years has focused around social justice and also climate justice. 
So we had been to uh, some rituals out there, some pagan rituals that people had organized because you can rent the space and it's beautiful, six acres, beautiful campus, but I'd never been to the church itself. We got married there. We got a lot of pressure from our families to get married in a church and we decided, okay, we can, we can go with this one. So we got married out there. Um, side note, the wedding dress caught on fire. You remember that Heather Ash was super exciting. I was a bride on fire. Um, and then we had kids and one Sunday Craig said, I'm really curious. I'm going to take the kids out to this church. You want to come? And I'm like, oh, hell no, I don't want to go to church. And so he took the kids and then he started taking the kids every Sunday for about six months. They were having a great time. They were meeting kids running around and, you know, he was happy to do it. And I got like a shower and an hour to myself and it was wonderful. So finally Easter rolled around and he said, I'd really like you to come with us today. They're going to do an egg hunt. It's going to be really cute. And I said, okay, fine, I'll go. I got there and the woman who did childcare, who later became a very good friend of mine said, oh, you're the mom. And I went, oh God, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I am that mom. And um, we started going. And I was very hesitant at first to get involved, but I I got really hooked. The irony is I never really went to the services because Craig and I spent the next 10 years um, with the, the kids' religious education program. We ended up becoming teachers. We ended up, you know, um, chaperoning our other kids and, and doing all kinds of kids and youth related activity for a long time. And at the end of that 10 year period, I, I had ended up chairing the committee that oversees all of that. I was, I just, I needed to shift. I needed a break. And our minister said, you need to just come to service for a while and receive. You've been giving, just come and receive. And so I spent the next year attending service and, and doing just that. And it was pretty transformational. It took about six months for people to stop asking me, are you new here? <laughs> you know, have we met? It's like, I've been here for 10 years. I just hang out with the kids. And uh, ultimately, over the span of the next years, I became uh, what's called a worship associate, which is lay leadership. And I had the... It's a wonderful program. I ended up doing it for four years and I ended up taking a leadership role when our minister went on sabbatical and, and leading worship. I've ha I had the opportunity to write full on sermons. I had the opportunity to um, help conduct a Black Lives Matter ritual around healing and reclamation. Um, and I got to bring a, a lot of myself and my own history. Worship associates typically deliver a five to seven minute piece that in some way relates to the theme and the sermon, but is, is really drawn from our own experiences. It helped me know the community at the church community at a much deeper level. It helped them know me because to be a worship associate is, is to really kind of make yourself vulnerable and you're, you're, you're really opening yourself up in a lot of ways. A lot of healing came about because of that. It took me about two years before I was ready to talk to them about my mother and tell that story. But ultimately, there was a lot of healing there. There was healing, remembering, you know, incidents and, and friendships and uh, social justice moments and all kinds of things. So it's been a huge part of our life. It remains a, a big part of, of my life um, to this day. <laughs> It's Zoom these days, and after being on Zoom so much during the week, I'm a little hard pressed to get there sometimes. But it's still it's still important to me. Yeah, and it's so good that it's still going even through the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. I want to say that. Um, so I have a very close relationship with our minister through that experience. Um, and she actually came to me about six months ago and said, there's a group of clergy here in Davis who is very much working to ad address um, Black Lives Matter and, and social justice issues. And we are coming to you to ask us to interview us about this. And um, I said, okay, I, I do a radio show and that's kind of hard, but we did a special, we did a special Zoom on it and it ended up being 
really um, important to them and, and really touching to have a kind of a curated conversation where they could talk about the work in each of their congregations. And I think they were eager to dispel notions about, you know, the, the, the monolith that people refer to as the church sometimes that they actually had, uh, this was a, um, interfaith, you know, uh, approach that each of their congregations actually is doing a great deal in terms of um, education and uh, commitment to to social justice issues. So that that was a nice outcome of all of that, too. Yeah, beautiful. And that's the cool thing about Davis is that although it's grown tremendously since we went to college there, it still has a small it's still a small town. And yeah. there's still that, that's a, a common occurrence of different groups getting together to do things. So I love, that's something that I, I really miss about Davis is that, that feeling sense of people coming together and yeah. cross, you know, interfaith and also college versus town people. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of overlap and, and play there, which is, it's a good thing for a community. It's a good model in that way. And Davis is really, you know, it's an unusual town just because of village homes. Mm-hmm. So if those of, for those of probably nobody here knows Davis that well, but anyway, <laughs> um, Davis is one of the, the first communities to have a really unusual housing development called village homes. And they focused on really creating passive solar homes, creating gardens, like there's food everywhere. There's trees everywhere. There's everybody has a garden. There's walking paths between the houses. The cars are kind of packed, parked in the back so that there's this just really rural, beautiful feeling. And, and Davis tends to lead in that way of a lot of environmental issues, a lot of um, social justice and also around community. Yeah, Davis to happen. Is- Sits in Yolo County too, which is a very large and largely agriculturally based um, county. And as I've lived, you know, the longer I've lived here, the more I've explored it. I've I've developed, you know, friends and connections and affinities in Woodland and Winters and some of the outlying communities. And I've come to really appreciate the beauty of agricultural fields, the the ag lifestyle, the gently rolling hills beyond it, the the creeks and and rivers. Um, I think it's a really special place. So I'm glad to live here. Yeah, I'm so glad you're still there, Ottoman and Craig are one of my trees. They've lived in the same place for decades. And so it's always, it's like a a grounding place for me because I always know I can show up at any time and have a place to stay (laughs) and hang out and be be loved. Yeah. yeah. Post COVID anyway. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I know it's been so long since I've seen you. It's so weird. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so the joke we used to have about Davis, which is still true, is that the, the good thing about Davis is it's two hours from anywhere. It's two hours from the ocean. It's two hours from the mountains. It's two yeah. hours from so many things. And the bad news is it's two hours from anywhere. So, <laughs> but it is a beautiful place. All right. Advice for moms. What would be <laughs> your advice for moms? Oh, my goodness. That's a very big question. Um my first advice is when they're young, sleep when they do. I never did that. I often regretted it. Um, your house does not need to be that clean. They're just going to mess it up anyway. My advice is that as they get older is, uh, and, and this is something I am still working on today, is sometimes it's important to talk less and listen more. And um I developed a strategy with my kids when they were, you know, preteens. Kids that age, they come home from school and sometimes they just have stuff they need to get off their chest. And that's a good thing when they're actually talking to you and expressing their feelings. But some, I, as you know, I have three very expressive kids very with very strong opinions. Don't know where they got it from. And um, I developed a strategy of asking them, just clarifying, okay, can you tell me, are you looking for advice or do you just need to vent? And they, they would pause and say, right now, I just need to vent or no mom, I don't know what to do. And I need somebody to help me, 
you know, tell me what to do, help me figure it out. So I, I think using whatever kind of um, check in point you're developing for yourself, listening to your inner voice or, or whatever, it, it's important to use that that filter with your kids, too. And um, but I'm still, as you know, I'm such a talker and I'm really working on listening more and responding less. And I, I that's something I'm, I'm applying with my my relationships with my grown kids now. Great advice. Okay. Advice around marriage. <laughs> Somebody, Allie, these, I, of Somebody. course, where are we going to go next? We got to go to the relationship. All right. Um, I should say I'm blessed to be married to a very quirky, um, highly individualistic man who um, I love very, very much. Um, I think it's uh, if you can be friends first, that's a great place to start from. And it served us well. But, you know, Craig and I, all marriages go through ups and downs. And Craig and I went through some some very difficult times. Uh, when we were the sandwich generation. And it's understandable now, especially in retrospect. It's like, I didn't actually dislike you. I disliked how you were responding to this incredible set of circumstances that we found ourselves in. Um, What I've learned over the last year is, in terms of my marriage, the pandemic has actually been really, really good for us. My husband, I usually in the before times, I would be out three to four nights a week at a meeting or in a community event because that's a big part of my my job and my role in the community. I think he's actually really liked having me around more. And what we've done this last year is we have started spending a lot more time together and we have prioritized finding ways to laugh together. So I actually read an article recently that that said, you know, the secret to long-term marriage happiness is you need to laugh more together. And it's absolutely true. I think, although it's not a requirement, I know people who are in marriages where they have different political views or, or different whatever. Craig and I have always kind of come back to that. We may differ on our, we're very different people. We may differ on how we approach things, but there's a an underlying set of core values and, and beliefs that we really share. And I think that's gotten through us a lot because we can say, okay, we're getting stuck on this point, but let's remember that we're both actually coming from the same place. And let's kind of step back and regroup and, and, and try to, let's start over, you know. And kindness. I one of the reasons, you know, I'm I'm a fan of my husband is he makes me coffee in the morning when I don't function well. And he, you know, he massages me every day. And he's not a romantic. The man has never brought me flowers in all our long years of relationship. But he says, no, I'm just not a romantic in the conventional ways that men are expected to be. But I, I, you know, I am hands on and I show you that I love you. And, and he's right. So but if I can boil it down, man, laugh together more, find ways to have fun and make time to, to date each other and prioritize each other. Mm-hmm. So good. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really true. And that place of, you know, in our community, I think about your relationship with Craig and in our community of the long-term relationships, because there's a lot of couples that have stayed together yeah. uh, over the years and that there has been that, that connection to core values and that commitment to doing things that they really enjoy together. And also like, you know, all of us have watched like people be like, I'm out of here. I'm out of this relationship. I am not staying in this relationship. And we just got like, hold, we're here. We're here. And I think because the community is able to hold, there's something really beautiful about long-term relationships and long-term community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, you know, there's there's a, I I would think it'd be much more difficult to have challenges in your relationship and not have a community that knows both of you and can hold you with love. Yeah. And we were, we, we really did go through some rough times. And I was definitely at that point of thinking, I think I need to step away. I think this is not good for me anymore. And, um, you know, we're both stubborn and we hung in there, but also we, we had sounding boards. I do, I do want to give a shout out to, um, 
Mankind International, Mankind Project, sorry. Um, at the time when we were really struggling, Craig found this group. And when he came home and told me about it, I thought, what, what is this? I was a little worried. I remember I asked you and you said, oh, they're wonderful. I'm so excited Craig's getting involved. That's really wonderful work. Um, I will say that it's been about six years now and he meets weekly with this group. He off, they rotate leadership. He's also um, been involved as staff at their, you know, in normal times, they have these retreats, these weekend retreats, and they do these, these initiations for new members. And he recently took on the responsibility of stepping into his role as an elder in the group. And that's him at 56 claiming, you know, I am now entering my, my elderhood, and I have wisdom I want to share with, with younger men. Um, the first year was was tough. To me, it sort of highlighted everything that was wrong. But I, I told myself, OK, he's working through a process. The six months after that were filled with what I called the holier than thou phase. Autumn, when you say this, what I hear is this. And, you know, it, it drove me batty for a while. But somewhere after that, something shifted. And I think um, he describes it as this work helps him be a better man, a better husband, a better father. But I, I think it allowed him a place to express all his insecurities to a peer group. And that was something that had been really lacking in his life before. And understanding from, you know, other men who were also walking the path of fatherhood, of, of being a husband. I know I've said this to you over time. I used to wonder how men survive. Women, we always tend and befriend, right? We, we have circled for years. The women's group that you were a part of a long time ago, our women's circle, we've been meeting since 1991. I'm the second oldest, second youngest person in the group. So I have this whole group of wonderful women who are way ahead of me on the path and who have been mentors and mother figures to me. And I would look at him and say, where is that for you? You know, how, how do you survive? And he found that. So I, I just, I really want to give a plug. It's made a tremendous difference in his life. And I, I think ultimately it contributed to our marriage surviving. Yeah, definitely. And mankind project is phenomenal. It is. It's one of the few organizations that is national mm -hmm. that has created local community, really deep local community. So yes, I'm writing it down so I can share the link as well. Mankind Project, so good. All right. Funniest story you can <laughs> think about with you and I, or one of the funniest stories that you can think about with you and I. For public consumption? <laughs> oh my Goodness. Um, wow, you've put me on the spot here. I know. Well, I'll share a story. This is, and this is just random. Okay. So you can see what randomly pops up. So, okay. Um, Autumn and Craig and I all lived in a, kind of the same compound for a while on H Street at, Dave, at uh, Davis. And they had the house. I lived in the bus part of the time. And then I moved into another little house that was attached to it. And they had a huge garden. Autumn and Craig have always been big gardeners. And I just remember one day I'm on the ground and I'm like squishing dirt by, with my hands and Craig comes by and he's, and he's has such a great sense of humor. Like he has that very dry and he's like, there's tools for that. Heather asked. And I'm like, <laughs> I know, but I don't like the tools. So, just always remember that. Yeah. I don't know. You and I have had so many ad adventures over the years. I think the thing I'll, I'll resort to is, when we were younger, it seemed no matter where we would go, we would get lost. This was before GPS, but I swear to God, if we were together using GPS, we'd probably still get lost. Get lost. Um, we, and we used to joke, we couldn't find our way out of a paper bag. And so I remember we went to, a, um, I think it was a Dead Show or a Jerry Garcia band show, and we got lost in the depths of Oakland, like at one in the morning. <laughs> 
And I remember being really freaked out. I, I, I have dealt with anxiety my whole life. And I remember just being completely freaked out at that point. And you're just like, cool, we're sightseeing in Oakland. This is great. And that kind of sums up a lot about you, my friend. <laughs> having experience. <laughs> having experience. Who cares that it's probably really dangerous experience yeah. that we're having. Well, I, One I of want my to favorite. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Well, I just thought of another fun story. I think this was with you where we were, again, it was a dead short of Jerry Garcia. It might've been the same show. And we were walking back to the car afterwards and there were some people that their car had broken down. They couldn't get their car to start. Were you there? Was it, was it a Howron? There was a yeah, group of us. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and they're like, we don't know what to do. And we're like, we'll help you. And we went literally and just, we're like, let's just do witchy stuff. So we all put our hands over the the battery in the car yeah, engine. And we all just prayed. Yeah, we're just like, this is gonna work. This is gonna work. This is gonna work. And the car starts. We're like, awesome. Bye bye. And they're like, <laughs> what just happened? Friendly neighborhood witches. No, no biggie. <laughs> no biggie. We'll help. Yeah. So I wanna I wanted to thank you for something. Something that's really cool is our is our eldest daughter Rowan is now um, doing Warrior Goddess. She's had a severe knee injury recently, so I know she's kind of dropped back a little bit. But she's in a place at 23 where um, she is really opening to spirituality after feeling closed down to it for a long time. And I've been kind of having fun blowing her mind by uh, letting her have access to my library. So she's been reading Starhawk. And then when I told her, it's like, oh, she's a wonderful woman. I've done rituals. She looked at me and she said, you know, Starhawk. <laughs> I was like, well, I don't know her well, but yes, I've met her. And, um, and so I just keep feeding her books, you know, and it's really, really fun. And it reminds me so much taking us back to the beginning of the conversation and the books. Um, I haven't found my copy of the mist of Avalon, but at some point oh. I really passed that her way because that, that I remember that book as being, uh, that was really important to both of us really seminal. Yeah, absolutely. And that has been an amazing thing. I remember we went for a walk through the campus uh, several years ago uh, and we realized, I, get, I think, I think Rowan just turned 19. Mm -hmm. This was, yeah, four or five years ago. And we're walking through campus and both of us looked at each other and we're like, she's the age we were when we met. Like, we're both like, whoa, this is so weird. And, mm -hmm. and that's something I've really appreciated about us in relationship with your kids is that both of us have known that... I don't know how to explain this. Like there's been this just spaciousness about who they are and who they're becoming. And both of us, we've talked about this. Like there was this, this pressure that we had as teenagers to be a certain thing. And I think both of us have had so much spaciousness with the kids of like, who do you, who are you guys going to become mm -hmm. and faith in them? And like, it's going to get messy. Yeah. It gets messy when you're that, you know, when you're exploring and you're experimenting. Yeah. You know, part of that is a function of, of, we've said a lot about Davis. Davis is, you know, home to a world-class university, University of California at Davis. And as such, it's a town populated by really smart people with lots of degrees. And there's a lot of pressure on kids here to excel in certain ways and then to, um, you know, to go on and, and to excel and to make a name for themselves. And that's great. But what I always told my kid, this goes back to advice to parent, my kids, advice to parents is your path is your path. There's no one way to get there. There's no timeline to get there. There was a lot of pressure to apply to four-year universities. And all of my kids chose the community college approach, which is what I actually did before coming to UC Davis. And um I just think it's really in, important to understand that kids that and as late teens, they're really in a pressure cooker. And I would like them here to get the message less that you can do college however you want, or you can not do college, or you can go to college when you're 30. You know, there's no real formula for success. The main thing is you have to show up. You have to be present in your own life and you have to, you know, figure out how you're going to put one foot in front of the other. We do expect you to, you know, 
earn a living. We do expect you to learn how to be self-sufficient and we're here to support you and, and help you out, but you get to determine your path and the rate of your, your progress. And I do remember when Rowan left for a community college in Santa Barbara, I ran into a woman I didn't know very well at the store. And she said, your daughter graduated. Where is she? And I said, she's going to Santa Barbara City College. And she looked at me and she said, don't you think she could have done better? And I went, oh, <laughs> yeah, that was like kind of the the worst aspect of the the expectations around high achievement that I could have, you know, then I, that's the best way I can explain it. And I don't remember what I said to her, but I probably was polite and ended the conversation and moved on. I, I think I probably actually said, I, I think she made a really good choice for herself and she did. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gotta trust them. Yeah. Sure. Mm. All right. La any last thoughts or last shares? Just that I'm I'm sitting here looking at your beautiful face, and it's so much fun to to actually have this time to have an intentional conversation with you. And I appreciate the the questions you've asked me too, because they they they've touched on many different aspects of you know my life and our friendship, and um, it's been fun. Appreciate the opportunity. Yay. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm so grateful to have this conversation as well and to to just get to to touch in with you know someone that's so beloved to me and that is also so you have so many gifts in so many ways. And the the place of the incredible amount of work you've done in the community with Davis uh, Media Acts, like all of the places that you have supported because autumn not only runs the community center like is the like, mama goddess for that media access but also has vol you volunteered for so many things over the years and been part of the growth of davis and the community and the the church and all the kids that went through the church so just gratitude to you for a combo of being a good mama, <laughs> self-care that you've learned to do, which I know like we all still struggle with, but that your creativity, that place of being able to express your creativity and carving that time out, the yeah. carving the time out to do yoga, to go for walks, to take care of your body and the place around work, <laughs> community like all of the the balancing that you do is is really inspirational thanks like everyone else you know work in progress and self-care i feel like is something i'm i'm really coming to a little bit late in life but maybe not this is probably a typical uh you know story for many women i i raised the kids i took care of the parents i i take care of my staff and my community and increasingly i'm getting older my joints are getting creaky i if i don't do yoga first thing every morning i don't feel well the rest of the day so it, it it's kind of by necessity coming to it but it's also partnered with an awareness that this i need to do more of this and i do have one parting thought for you a friend of mine shared a post on Facebook where she was talking about our inner voice. And you know this because I, I've shared you this with before. I, I say that my inner voice used to be an asshole and it, it is not untrue. And you have taught me, you and the, the, you know, your work with Warrior Goddess have taught me so much over the years about the importance of um, that inner voice. And I've really learned that that's where self-care starts for me. It starts with what that voice sounds like. I'm still not at the point of where you are. Okay, sweetheart, what do you need? I'm not there, but I do regularly now when I'm starting to mentally spin, I do say, Autumn, stop, stop, breathe. What do you need right now? what would help shift this energy for you? And I really do attribute that to, um, to you know, trying to stay up with, with your work and participating in your stuff over the years. So I thank you for that gift because it has been seminal. Self-care for me doesn't 
mean, you know, a hot bath. It it might, you know, or or what I've eaten that day or whatever, but it really does fundamentally start with what that inner voice sounds like. That is huge. I mean, I think that's such a big piece of wisdom around self-care. Because yeah. we tend to do the self-care as like that, kind of doing something that get that takes you away. Like a band-aid. Yeah. 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 And actually self-care really is like, how are you talking to yourself? Yeah. Mm, perfect place to close. Thanks so awesome. much. I'm so freaking proud of you. I am so oh. freaking proud of you, of how you show up in the world and about the community you're cultivating and how you share your voice. Um, you know, you and I both coming from that point of, of being writers, we... I kind of thought at some point I'd go on and write a book. I, I still think I might write a book. I think I have written a book in 20 years of columns about media consolidation, but I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm delighted and just so proud of you. And the, one of the fun things in life has been as my kids try to explain their godmother and to hear them explain what it is you do in the world. It's, it's kind of comical sometimes and really fun. That is hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, because when, how old was Rowan when she walked on fire the first time? Eight. Eight? Yeah, eight. Yeah. And that's definitely one of my favorite stories is <laughs> fire walk with the kids and um, and them later being like, oh, yeah, I walk on fire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Thanks, love. And Thank I'll you. share in the show notes, I will share the link to Autumn's Etsy store so you can go check out the really cool buttons, follow her on Instagram so you can see all the really cool buttons <laughs> and all the other things that she's up to. Thanks for taking the time, sweetheart. Thank you for inviting me. I love you. Love you. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share it with a fellow warrior goddess. If you felt fully empowered and inspired by what you heard today, we want to know about it. You can share your feedback by leaving a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We thank you for your support. It's the fastest way to fuel the revolution. To learn more about the Warrior Goddess Revolution and other Warrior Goddess offerings, visit us at www.warriorgoddess.com.